Hey, this is Matt Britt, lead pastor at New Life Church, and you're listening to our podcast. I pray you're encouraged today and filled with hope. I pray you learn more about yourself and your relationship with God. Enjoy the message. I want to start a new series with you uh, for the next few weeks entitled, What About My Birthright? We're going to talk about the birthright. What about my birthright? Now, uh, this is a common practice in the Old Testament times, uh, the practice of the birthright. But in today's society, really the weight and uh, definition of the birthright is lost. And so before we get into scripture, uh, I want to just take a few minutes and try kind of uh, explain to you what the birthright is. Uh, the birthright, or Bacora is what it was called, has to do with the position and inheritance, okay? Position and inheritance. By birthright, the firstborn son inherited the leadership of the family and the judicial authority of the father, as well. In fact, Deuteronomy 21:17 states that he was also entitled to a double portion of his father's estate. So the birthright was not just something that uh, gets thrown around as, uh, hey, you're the firstborn. Uh, my brother held that over my head uh, all his life that he was the firstborn. Uh, but it's even deeper than just I'm the eldest or I- I'm older than you or I know what I'm talking about. The birthright was something that was uh, substantial, something that was tangible that they could hold in their hands. It was a promise that was given to them as the eldest son uh, that they would carry out the, the the traditions of their father and their family that they would carry with them uh, the weight and responsibility and authority of carrying on the family name. And in order to do that, it also came with one, a blessing, but then also financial blessing on the family that was given to them to help them carry out that responsibility. So and now by position, it's not to say uh, how he was perceived by the family, okay? It's not saying that, oh, you're the smartest or uh, this one obviously uh, has all of their act together. Position was was simply birth order. It was given to the firstborn son. It was his right and it could not be taken away. And that brings us to Genesis 25 today. Uh, we're going to talk about Jacob and Esau for the next few weeks, and uh, their story begins in Genesis 25. We're going to stay with these two characters throughout the series. Starting in verse 19, it says this, this is the account of the family of Isaac, the son of Abraham. As Abraham's son, Isaac, carries the birthright passed down from Abraham. Now, some of you are already getting ahead of me if you know the story of Abraham and his son Isaac, and we'll talk about Ishmael, the other son, a little bit next week. Uh, but Isaac's wife, Rebecca, gets pregnant, okay, and she has twins. Let's look at it together. In Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 25, it says this, The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat, so they named him Esau. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so they named him Jacob because Jacob meant uh, a heel grabber is what the the word implied. It also had this connotation of uh, supplanter is one of the words that they use or deceiver. Uh, And so Jacob comes out uh, of the womb into the world with this tag on his life that he is one who is always trying to pull his way ahead in a situation. He's an opportunist. And so the scripture says, Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. 
Amen. If you're 60 year old and uh, and you're planning on having twins, come on, let me hear you shout. Put it in the chat right there. We're next. I'm just kidding. Hopefully nobody uh, is next on that train. I mean, if you are, hey, congratulations. Uh, we're going to move on. So from the beginning, we have these two brothers who are wrestling, grasping, jockeying for position from one another, even as they're in their infant stage and they don't even really know what they're doing. There's this imagery that we see of these two brothers who are fighting back and forth. Esau was so hairy that they named him Esau because it sounds like the Hebrew word for hair. Now, how hairy do you have to be that they just call you hair, right? Like that's like, that's it. It says that it looked like he was wrapped in a fur coat. How hairy is that baby? Every time I read this story, I think that question, how hairy was this kid? Okay. And so, uh, it says in verse 27, um, as the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild games Esau brought home, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So Esau grows up to be an outdoorsman, a hunter, and Jacob preferred to stay at home, which endeared him to his mother. Verse 29 says, One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. Okay, So Esau is named Hare and he's named Red. Great names. So Jacob is cooking stew and Esau comes home starving and asks for that red stew, which gives him this other name, Edom. Okay, so Esau is named Hare and Red, but don't think about it like that. Esau is named for his appetite, Red, and for his appearance, Hare. He's named for his appetite and his appearance. Now, I, I just have to wonder if we, if we were named for our appetite, spiritually our appetite, and spiritually our appearance, I wonder what our names would be. It's a whole other sermon. Jacob's like this opportunity, he's like like we said, an opportunist. And so he says in verse 31, when when in, repl in reply to Esau, he says, all right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first, you must swear to me that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn of his brother Jacob. No, excuse me. Saul his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Jacob seizes the opportunity to ask for the one thing that he knows he could never have. It's not something that he could just take from Esau, his birthright. And Esau's response is this, man, I'm starving. What about my birthright? I don't even care about that right now. Jacob recognizes that Esau isn't taking this as seriously as he should. And so he makes him swear by an oath and Esau does. Now, like the birthright, swearing by an oath was another uh, practice that was, uh, that was very common back in those days. And it held more responsibility and more weight. Uh, in the South, I think we understand it because we talk about being a man of your word and a man is only as good as his word. And it means something when you say, yes, I'll do that, or you shake hands on a promise. Uh, swearing by an oath was that same type of deal. It was that moment where all of a the sudden they said, yes, if I, I, I will do this. They come into agreement. But it was more than just something that they said. It was, uh, it was legally binding back in those days. 
but Esau wasn't thinking straight or he thought there's no way that this kid will get my birthright. So sure, I'll tell him that he can have it. So in verse 34, it says, then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. And look at this, it says, he showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Now let's, let's focus on that just for a second. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. That word contempt means to despise as worthless. It's like he swept it under the rug. It's like he, he, he just thought, you know what? It doesn't even matter to me. I, it, he didn't even give it a second thought. Whatever Esau was thinking, Scripture is clear to point out that he took something that was priceless and treated it as if it were worthless. He took something that was priceless and he treated it as worthless. The one thing that no one could forcefully take away from him, Esau traded it for some stew. And not even good stew, y'all. I mean, maybe it was back in the day. Maybe bean stew is good. Lentils, beans, right? Maybe bean stew was good back then. But like, I'm going to have to have like some, some Brunswick stew if we're tra trading it for stew, right? I, I like uh, broccoli cheddar soup. That Oh, the one from O'Charlie's. Oh, come on. Now, um, we talk, start talking about that kind of soup. Maybe, maybe. But this is just bean soup. Apparently it was really good. There were a dozen things that Esau could have traded his birthright, uh, uh, that he could have traded for this stew that would not have held the weight like his birthright. There were a dozen things that he could have said, I'll give you this, or you can have that, or you can have my room. Like There are a lot of things that he could have given up, but the birthright was the one thing that was uniquely, uniquely his and belonged to only him, and it's the one thing that Jacob asked for. Why? Because Jacob was an opportunist. But in this moment, he's acting by his other nickname, a deceiver. He deceives Esau. He makes him feel like, hey, everything's good. We're all right. So Esau trades his birthright for his appetite. Now, don't miss that today. Esau trades his birthright for his appetite. Even though this is the first book of the Bible, this isn't the first time we've seen this happen in fact, we have an example of it in the very, very first story of humans ever on the planet, Adam and Eve. If you remember in the Garden of Eden, God makes man, male and female, Adam and Eve. And although it's not expressly written, he gave them paradise as their birthright. They were given paradise, and paradise was not just this place, Eden. It was also this, uh, this ideology that they could, they could walk. The scripture says that Adam walked in the cool of the evening in the cool of the garden with, with God. And he walked with God in the cool of the day. What? What? This is this paradise. This is this birthright that Adam and Eve have been given as the first humans ever created. But one day in chapter 3, the enemy, the deceiver, the opportunist, the devil, finds Eve over by the tree that she's not supposed to eat from. He lies because that's what the devil does and he says, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Eve corrects him and says, of course we can eat fruit from any of the trees in the garden. It's only fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that, we can't, that we're not allowed to eat from. Adam and Eve have paradise and opportunity to walk with God in the cool of the day. And no one can take that away from them. But they can freely give it up. So the deceiver continues to tempt Eve and assures her, you won't die, he says. 
until she was convinced. Look at verse 6. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. She saw that the fruit that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. Now that word delicious right there means lust, desire, or appetite. Lust, desire, appetite. Eve was allowing her appetite to steer her decision-making, just like Esau. So she trades her birthright for some fruit from this forbidden tree. Now remember, the Bible is not just a bunch of stories that have these common themes, and so we tie them all together. No, no, the Bible is one story. Remember that. The Bible is one story played out on a universal, massive scale. It's one story. It begins in Genesis at the creation of the world, and three chapters into it, humanity has already ruined everything, (laughs) right? Like, of course we did. Three chapters into it, and humanity has already ruined everything. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says it like this. When Adam sinned, note, Eve was the one who took the fruit, but in Romans chapter 5, the man who is the one who bears the responsibility of it. There's something about marital covenant right there and spiritual head of the household and all that. But again, that's another lesson. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. Thanks a lot, Adam. <laughs> Appreciate you. You know, it's one of those things where you're like, I would like to think if I'd have been in the garden, I would have done something different. If, it, it, ladies, if you're, if I were Eve and a snake started talking to me, no way I'm going to listen to it, right? But the crazy thing is, this is human nature, and we'll look at it in just a minute, because the truth is, we still do this. We still allow our appetite to drive our decision-making at times. And usually when we do that, it costs us our birthright. We still allow that to happen. And so we just saw it ties right in with Jacob and Esau, right? The deceiver chose an opportune moment to trade humanity's birthright through our appetite. And the whole rest of the Bible is about how God works to restore that birthright back to us. Now think about that just for a minute. Chapter 3, chapter 3, humanity gives up our birthright, children of God. We give that up in chapter 3 for our appetite. And the whole rest of the Bible is about God reconciling us back to himself. That's the whole that's the whole story. That's the whole story. And it's still being played out in my life and in your life today, even though the answer happened 2,000 years ago on the cross. Look at it. Verse 18 of Romans 5. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation 
for everyone, but Christ's one action of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. The scripture says right there in Romans chapter 5 verse 18 that Adam's sin, his one action spread sin into all of humanity. But Christ's one action spread righteousness gave us the opportunity to be connected to righteousness throughout all of humanity. Every one of us. It's why when we accept Jesus, what we say is, Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. You're like, I wasn't even born then, yet it was my sin, it was your sin that held Jesus on the cross because that's what he was doing. He was making restitution for our sin by dying on the cross. He was paying the price, the penalty of death. He was paying that price so that we could be set free. So that we could be set free. So the question you need to ask yourself today is this. What about my birthright? Have you grabbed hold of the promise of eternal life that God has given you? Are you living life with that free life? Or maybe you know Jesus, but man, your, your appetite is still an issue for you. James chapter 1 verse 14 says this about our appetite. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Man, that's crazy, right? That's crazy because I thought that temptation came from the devil. Well, it does. I mean, he's still an opportunist, right? He's still a deceiver, but he's not going to come to you with something that's not already this evil desire that you've had at some point in your life or that has, that has latched on to your heart. He's going to come to you with those things that he knows, hey, if, if I reach out with this to them, they'll reach out for it and it will drag them away from their relationship with God. It will drag them away from their relationship with God. Another word uh, for desires, temptation comes from our own desires. Another word for that is lust. That's the same meaning of the word used to describe how Eve looked at that fruit. Appetite, desire, lust. It's, it's, it's the same trick. The devil has one trick. He walks up to you and he says, did God really say this about your life? I mean, do you really think that you have to live every moment of your life surrendered to God? Do you think that God would probably be okay if you just did this one thing? I mean, what's the, it's not going to hurt what you watch on TV. It's not going to hurt what you listen to in music. It's not going to hurt the people that you hang around. I mean, you're a strong believer. You got this. You got this. He entices us with those desires. And we're slowly lured away from the birthright that the Lord has given us. But now... It's not, that, it's not that original birthright that he gave to Adam and Eve. It's a new one. It's a new one. We talked about it. If anybody's in Christ, they're a new creation, right? The old you is gone. The new you has begun. What? What? God gives you a brand new birthright when you get saved. And the enemy hates it. The devil hates it. And so he tries from that moment, from that moment, to drag you away, to pull you away. Man, maybe your appetite for things other than God have begun to drag you away from the promised life that he has for you. Bow your heads with me today.
Look, maybe for you, you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It, it might be on your to-do list for uh, some time in the future, but I want to encourage you. Look, today is the day of salvation. The Lord wants to give you that brand new life, and all you have to do is accept it. He, want, he wants to give you a brand new life, and all you have to do is say, Yes, Lord, I receive that. He said, What about my sin? The Bible says that we confess it. We say, Lord, I'm sorry. And then He cleanses us. He makes us clean from that sin. That's what He wants to do for you today. If that's you, man, I'd love to pray a prayer with you. I'd like for you to, to pray with me today. And if you'd like to do that, would you just click the button on the screen that says, I accept Christ? It's just a button that says, Raise hand. It doesn't give us any information, it just gives me a number to know who we're praying with today. Or maybe for you, you're like, man, I, I know Jesus. I know Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but man, my appetite, that sinful appetite, it's reared its ugly head. It, 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 it's it's, it's kind of come out of the darkness. You know, when, when we entered into quarantine this week, I was praying for our church, and I was just praying for safety and protection for those who might have been exposed and just asking God to minister to us and that he would keep us safe. And the Lord spoke so clear to me. He spoke so clear to me. And he said, the devil's not after your physical health. He's after your spiritual health. You hear me, church? The devil's not after your physical health. He's after your spiritual health. And from that moment on, I began to change my prayer. I changed it for me, and I changed it for our church. God's doing some amazing things in our church right now in the spirit some incredible things. And even though we're online today only, I'm telling you, God still wants to do something amazing right where you're at. If you're here today and you say, man, my appetites have been out of control this week and I don't understand it. Look, the devil is crafty. He's an opportunist. He's tried to take this moment and take advantage, take advantage of this moment. But the Lord, man, the Lord is so good. He's so good. God is so good. Let me pray for you today. God, I pray for those today who raised their hand and said, Lord, I need to accept you as my Lord and Savior. God, I pray that you would just touch and minister to them, Father God. And Lord, that in this moment, Lord, that they would just feel exactly what your word talks about, God, that you are restoring them, that you're giving them a brand new life, that you take their sin. Your word says that you cast it as far as the east is from the west into a sea of forgetfulness, God. And Lord God, you begin a brand new life with them today. Now, if you're ready to start that new life, I want you just to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, please come into my heart and make me a brand new person. I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I ask for you to forgive me and make me clean. Now be the Lord of my life and lead, guide, and direct me all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Look, if you prayed that prayer today, I believe that God just stepped in in this moment and made you a brand new person. We'd love to hear about it. If you'd click on that button that says live prayer, uh, it just gives us a chance to kind of chat back and forth with you and just say, man, how proud we are of you. Or you can call or text me or call the church. We'd love an opportunity just to connect with you today. Thank you so much for joining with us today. Just before we go, I'd love to bless you. Why don't you just take your hands and put them out just like this? Hallelujah. Now I'll bless you. In the name of God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, the one who owns your birthright.
I bless your mind that you would have the thoughts of Christ. I bless your ears that you would hear the voice of the Spirit. I bless your eyes that you would see the world the way that God sees it. I bless your mouth that you would speak forth the praises of the Lord. I bless your feet that everywhere you go, you would be delivering the gospel of Jesus. And I bless your hands that everybody that you come in contact this week, even if it's just through a text message or a phone call, it'll be like the outstretched hands of Jesus are touching them. Now, Lord, we receive your blessing today. God, let it sink deep into our hearts. God, let us be people of your blessing and people of your birthright in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining in with this today. Love one another.